Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host for this week, John Bolding. And to this week, we are going to be talking about Slaves to Armok, God of Blood, Chapter 2, Dwarf Fortress. Or, as it's now known simply in the most recent Steam release, Dwarf Fortress. This has been a show, I think, a long time coming. We've talked about Dwarf Fortress a lot on this podcast over the decade plus at this point. And uh, Dwarf Fortress is a game that cast its shadow over a lot of the rest of uh, the strategy genre. Joining me today are Three Moves Ahead regular and producer, Lynn Hafer. Hello. Freelance writer, I believe, Gita Jackson. That's me. What up? I'm Gita. And also freelance writer. No, I, 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 I'm you still gainfully employed. Job. Congratulations. Look at the big shot over here. I've sort I've sort of lucked out um and no one realizes it. Uh but yes, I'm still gamefully employed. So well, full-time fancy man, Mike Williams. (laughs) Hello, hello, folks. How's everyone doing tonight? Or today, whenever you listen to this podcast. Well, Let's think about, let's talk about, let's consider the magic of Dwarf Fortress. For those who are just tuning in or maybe have just uh, zoned out every time I talk about this game for the last seven years, Gita, what is Dwarf Fortress? So the, I think the easiest way to explain what Dwarf Fortress is more than just a surface level, here's what you do in the game, is to think of it as a resource management game with an expansive history generator attached to it. It is a game that enables storytelling in a way that to me is like a work of magic. You know, it's like a magic trick every single time I load it up and I just randomly digging through the masses and masses of text that it generates, find a compelling narrative. In the most basic sense, what you actually do in Dwarf Fortress is you are playing a resource management game about making sure that a little colony of dwarves uh, survive the somewhat harsh, you know, variably harsh or downright evil <laughs> environment that you are stuck in. All of this, uh, this will take place in a world that is procedurally generated. And this procedural generation model is one of the things that actually led to Dwarf Fortress being added to the permanent collection in the Museum of Modern Art. It's actually currently on display in an exhibit about video games at the moment. So that's, that also explains what Dwarf Fortress, like, top level is. It's a really influential game also about these specific things, about how you tell stories in video games, how you generate narrative in video games, and like just resource management games in general. There are a lot of games that outright rip it off. You can kind of tell when you look at those games just with your eyes, not naming names. Yeah. Uh, what do you... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I'll say, so uh, everyone on this pod uh, has different levels of, of Dwarf Fortress. Uh, I personally have played many of the games that have come after this, which is known on Steam and a thing as like Colony Sims, notably RimWorld, which after playing Dwarf Fortress, I'm like, oh, RimWorld is literally just Dwarf Fortress. Yep. Yep, Yep. a little bit, yeah. (laughs) Like it's Dwarf Fortress, but it's also a lot less than Dwarf Fortress, which is interesting. Like it is, uh, you you would control a much fewer amounts of people in that colony. What really makes Dwarf Fortress interesting is that at a certain point, you won't know everybody intimately that's in your colony. You won't. I had 200 dwarves at a certain point, 
you kind of get to know specific figures that that crop up, specific characters that occur and reoccur in different events. A lot of time, you're noble people. I got was really attached to the queen. I know that's kind of gauche, but I liked my queen. She was an expert hammer dwarf, so I made her the hammerer. And she's actually been very just. She goes for the hands and the feet when she's doling out punishments instead of the head. <laughs> Dispensing your own, like, judge, jury, and executioner <laughs> yeah. there. Jeez. I felt like it was on brand for the dwarves a little bit, so. And, and the thing is, uh, Gita's not making this up, like, like goes for the hands and feet. Like, that's in, you. it's not, like, visually there, but it's there in the text. You just have to hunt for it. And probably yeah. that's like the biggest thing. Yeah. For Pretty me. much one of the things. Yeah. I, anything you go ahead. Thank you. Uh, one of the things I always like to point out is that Dwarf Fortress spends all of its energy on being a simulation rather than directly rendering or showing you in any way other than text necessarily everything that's going on on screen. Um, whereas a lot of its successors focused on making it more more of a playable game that that goes out of its way to challenge you and make things interesting. Dwarf Fortress sets up its vast background simulation and then just sort of pushes the ball down the hill every time you load it up. Yeah, to me, uh, the writing of Dwarf Fortress is also one of those things that I find extremely influential in other games, even games that are not resource management games or colony sims. Um, I always think, and like maybe this is just me thinking conspiratorially, but what the phrase Clementine will remember that has a sort of uh, distant third fantasy narrator of Dwarf Fortress that to me feels like an antecedent of Dwarf Fortress as well, even though it's not the same kind of game whatsoever. The use of, of language in this game is really fascinating because so much of the game, how it makes you feel for the dwarves that you are, you know, taking care of in your colony. Like in a rim world, you accept that most of these people are going to die. Some of them are going to be really fucking annoying. <laughs> like um, some of them may hate each other. And you don't, I always feel like I don't get to attach to them. In Dwarf Fortress, I like feel genuinely bad when bad things happen to my guys, especially if it's my fault. Like I crushed a dwarven child to death accidentally in a, in a drawbridge. I, I felt so bad, but there was this enemies because there was a there was a minotaur coming, and she was on the way to get the goat back to the pen, and then someone pressed the lever, but we needed to get the drawbridge up. Imagine how many more dwarven children would have died if that minotaur. Had gotten yeah. inside the base, you know. You have it's to- actually two mer- two people, two fisher dwarves just slapped the minotaur to death. I felt so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, God damn it, this guy was a bitch. Well, <laughs> that's another one of the things that I think is like super unique about this game is just the absurd detail of the simulation, and it is absurd. Like you're talking about, you know, the the hammer dwarf aiming for the hands and feet. Like when someone dies. You can go back and look like a forensic investigator and figure out how they died. Because, like, if they got hit by a sharp object, it'll tell you, like, which organ got punctured. Medical history <laughs> yeah, is, is, clear, is right? amazing. Led to their death. Yeah. Like, they can have fingers cut off and, like, those fingers can go flying through the air and land somewhere and they'll still be there in the world. Like Little finger object like the, on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> it's that it's that detailed. But, yeah, it is all mostly represented in text. Um, and the which text is interesting. has its own yeah. like its own arcane style. I I don't know. I think maybe Gita and I are the longest playing Dwarf Fortress people on this show. I, I've been playing so since did, I tracked it down, summer two thousand seven. 
No, you're longer than me, but just by a little bit. I first tried it and bounced off it in college. So I was be like 2008 or 2009 because of where I was living at the time. Because my friend Mike Migdahl, shout out Mike Migdahl. I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but if you do, shout out to you. You're fucking cool. Um, uh, he like introduced it to me because we lived right next door to each other. I had the little single right next to the door and he had the, the quad at the end of the hall. And uh, he was like, Gita, have you heard of this game? It's nuts. You just have to try. Didn't understand it. And then when I graduated, I really got into it for real around 2012. And that was a time they'd removed the economy from the game right. since then to speed things up. I don't remember exactly what release I played, but it was before guild halls and taverns and stuff. But it was just, I don't know. I, I, I was unemployed right out of college. I only had like a, a Mac a MacBook like laptop, one of those cheap ones they used to make. And it was super old. I couldn't play a lot of games, but Dwarf Fortress was lightweight enough that it could work on my machine. So I was like, why not learn how to do this? And then that was the age of people having like newbie packs that you could just download. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, they made it, people made it really user friendly. And I just opened up the, you know, cause this is like a tiny little window. I just had like, you know, the wiki in the background and I would just, wiki and google look everything up in the wiki not too dissimilar dissimilar from how i still play look up everything i want to do in the wiki mm -hmm. while i'm doing it and it, it just became a lifelong fascination after that this is we were saying before the pot this is like this is like my forever game i think this this might be my favorite video game it's it yeah. does ever when i say what was what i want in a video game it's like it's this this is i don't know it's something else to me See, I, I played it a long time ago and i don't remember exactly when but i bounced off of it real hard and that is because like yes some people are like ah the game is the thing but i just cannot do the old like ascii art roguelikes <laughs> or dwarf fortress so i just like it, it was just a bunch of characters on a screen and i couldn't read anything and i just bounced off and never went back so this for me like at, even like, I mean, it's not like they're adding like tons of animation or anything, but even adding like visible actual faces that I can be like, oh, that's uh, give your diamonds daughter or whatever, you know, like being able to be like, oh, I know exactly which dwarf that is, is so much more useful to me. I think even more than the addition of like the better menus are the mouse control. Yeah, I. I think that one of the major additions that I was surprised by was this, these little dynamic sprites for the dwarfs. Um, I'd always been pretty good about learning the names of all my little dwarfs and trying to remember something about them. But I'll admit that I didn't really ever spend a lot of time reading the descriptions of dwarfs, which are all generated, right? They're mm -hmm. all like, oh, he's got a long nose and exceptionally small <laughs> ears, right? All these sort of tiny physical details are all generated in addition to all their thoughts and memories and feelings. but. Uh, I ended up getting pretty attached to some of the descriptions that I went would go and read because I would see the way the sprite had generated where I was like, oh, he's got a little tiny beard on his chin or like this lady's <laughs> like completely shaved. Right. Just bizarre sort of ways that the dwarves decided to look. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I started probably around the same time as Gita because I was trying to track that down myself and I was it was. I remember playing it on my laptop at Borders back when that was a thing. 
Like I would just go there and plug my laptop in and play Dwarf Fortress just to be out of the house and, and doing something. And I got my first laptop as a graduation gift in 2008. So it must have been like spring of 2008 that I started playing this game. Um, but then I would go like years without touching it and come back and just see, OK, what's all the new stuff uh, that they've added? And um, yeah, so I don't. I probably in terms of number of hours, I'm I'm maybe third or fourth out of the people here. But uh, yeah, I, I remember playing it back before there was a Z axis when you just wow straight horizontally into the mountain. Yeah, so. that's that's sort of my wow. starting point of reference is, yeah. is no no Z axis. And I remember yeah. the transition to the Z axis really throwing me off. Uh, because I, I at the time was in in college and I tried to install it to procrastinate and I bounced off the procrastination and I was like I might as well just write my paper. It, it's it's still throwing me off because I, I probably need to keep on and re- reverse it. I always scroll in the wrong direction, so I'm same. Like, oh, I need to do the same for, thing. <laughs> I yep. want to go further uh, yep. down, and I keep going like I'll scroll it and be like, ah, these are I've, trees. I've just gotten in the habit of pausing the game every time I want to change levels, which is what I did. Anyway, I don't know why I did it in, you know, in non-UI pleasantness Door Fortress, but I think it's mostly because I, I just know I'm going to go in the wrong direction a lot, so I have to pause the game <laughs> so my dwarves don't suffer from my mistakes. It's unfortunate that Door Fortress is on the wrong side of history in literally one way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. That's just, I, you know, I what I really like about the tone of this game is that there's like an old guy ass like vibe to it have you ever seen a um the just character each character in dwarf fortress if you click on them will have these really really beautifully written like character descriptions and they've become even better in the steam version they make the information like a lot easier to read and like give you an at a glance like at a look at this person's mood but if you look click on a baby who's just been born in the character description for them it'll say they were born today which makes them very young indeed and i (laughs) I think that's just one of the things that makes Dwarf Fortress so good is like the particularness of Tarn and Zach Adams. I like how you can really feel it all the time. Like the way that cats, every other animal that can be a pet, the dwarves adopt the pet, except for cats. Cats adopt people. Yes. Like, yeah. That's just, it's like that, you know, that is the stuff that also makes Dwarf Fortress good for me is that it's made by two guys and it me- really feels like it's made by two guys. Yeah, where a lot of other modern fantasy has sort of abandoned the fairy tale whimsy that went out of fantasy in like the 70s and 80s when the the, yeah. the rock and roll went into it. And don't get me wrong, that's great. But like it, yeah, it still has sort of silly things in it. Like you can you can play in a, a good aligned biome, right, where everything is magically good. And like the creatures that show up are unicorns and little happy glowing gnomes and fuzzy wamblers, which are made of fluff and pudge. Right? Oh, that's so cute. Oh my gosh. I, lo- I love fuzzy wamblers. They're probably one of my favorite things Beautiful. in this in this world. I've never seen a fuzzy wambler in my life and now it's gonna become my mission. Oh, you gotta do I it. have Go to start a fortress in a at a, a hallowed or something like that area and set a dwarf to go and trap quote vermin and they'll eventually show up with a bunch of fuzzy wamblers. And then you can oh my uh, God. keep them as pets in little glass terrariums. That's beautiful. I love that for them. It's like, oh, those little guys. Everybody, there's so many little guys in Dwarf Fortress. See, this is why I can forgive them being wrong about the scroll thing. There are. It's like, it's you know, they have a point of view. Little guy. Some little guy. So, it is a game about little guys. That really is, yeah, 
How do how do the fuzzy wamblers go wrong? Because this is the thing I've noticed. Well, is everything goes wrong. Well, what happens very, is very quickly. Some kind of monster gets into your base, or like a cat decides to go after them because they're vermin and rips them to pieces, and you just find like a little pile of it'll say like Wambler fluff and Wambler pudge, and you'll oh, be like, no. oh dear, oh. I've had to murder so many cats in these games recently. Well, that's what happens when you just Ella's have a lot looking of cats at me. around. <laughs> My Wait. cat just got off her little perch and is laid down on the floor and is staring up at me judgmentally. <laughs> she knows what's happening. So here's a question for, for Mike specifically. As sort of the newest or the most recent Dwarf Fortress player, how did you, how'd you feel, you know, uh, an hour in or 10 hours in or what have you to playing? this new release, which is, I mean, it's fundamentally different, right? There's a, an inbuilt tile set and you can remap the controls and there's like, there's a settings menu. Like you don't have to go edit the game files to change the <laughs> settings. Uh, I mean, I, I really like it. The thing for me is, so there is a tutorial experience now, uh, which is helpful for getting you into it. But even once you get past the tutorial experience, like I'm always running, like it's so detailed that there's little bits like I, what was my my first one? And, and I think John might have given me the answer there. Like I made a room and I put like eight beds in it and then I left it and I was like, OK, this is this is a bedroom. And I designated it as a bedroom and I left and did other stuff. And I came back and I was looking at my doors and like, everyone's like, I'm unhappy because I slept on the grass. I'm unhappy because I slept on the floor. And I'm like, what are you, what are, what is everyone doing? We have a room with seven beds in it. There are seven of you. The answer is I had to make it a, either a dormitory or a barracks because otherwise. One dwarf was living high on the hog. Yes, there was just one dwarf, my carpenter, who was living in a bedroom that they had claimed with six other empty beds. And then this is my afternoon nap bed. This is my early evening nap bed, of course. Uh, right. Uh, and so and there's a lot of stuff like that, like, oh, I'm happy that I got to drink some dwarven ale, but I'm very sad that there are no cups. So then I'm like, OK, how do I make cups? I've made cups. They're not using the cups. Why aren't they using the cups? Because they have to be in a thing for them to take the cups out of. Like, yep. like all of that stuff is the stuff that I'm like, like I'll, I'll, I'll think it'll be fine. Like, look, I made you guys a whole set of tables and a whole thing of cups. Are you happy now? And they're like, I don't know how to use the cup, Papa. <laughs> <laughs> they would have said and we could use the cups, so we would. right. <laughs> There's cups, but they're too far, Daddy. Right. Cups are too far for me. <laughs> very so much is, yeah, they're little rule followers until they're not. God, yeah. And, and uh. also, I, I enjoyed like the weird little intersections. Like, like Gita was talking about a child being born. I was looking at one of my dwarf children. And I was like, relationships, and I'm like, part of the site government. I'm like, what? This is a child. What's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> no, you can't have BBP in the government. <laughs> no, you can too. You just did. Uh, <laughs> I love 
this video game. I love, it's um, great. I love dwarven children born with massive full beards that go down to their toes. It's one of my most favorite things in this video game. Yeah, that is. Yes, like click I do on a dwarf also baby love that. And it'll be like, he has a luxurious beard that reaches his knees. And you'll be like, does he now? Beautiful. And there's fan art of, uh, of dwarven mothers who have swaddled the children in their own beards. Beautiful. I mean, that's what they're for, right? There's already a mod on the workshop that uh, adds bearded women to Dwarf yeah, Fortress. I immediately downloaded that mod. I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. I want this. Hell yeah. yeah. You need it. Absolutely. Uh, and also, like, I do get attached, but I have I have utterly failed my dwarf. So first, I immediately, first game, very early, dug right into an aquifer. Didn't know what that was. I was like, what happens if I dig into the water? Ah, everyone <laughs> dies. Yeah, that's what fucking happens. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, and I love that. I love that loop of disaster followed by starting over and trying to prevent that disaster and then oh i've discovered a whole new disaster and like i miss games that sort of force you to learn that way i feel like you know we've talked about how for all the positive steps they've made like particularly you know some of the newer paradox games like crusader kings 3 have tried to move away from that gameplay loop of you're probably gonna die horribly, but then your next campaign you'll know what to do differently. Um, whereas Dwarf Fortress is very much built around that, and to the point that they'll tell you that's the mindset you need to have going in, or you're not really gonna have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. I I like that. I I have such so many great memories of that loop from early on playing. I remember. Oh yeah. I, you know, one of the first forts I ever built that was really successful, I was like, I'm awesome. I have walls with fortifications on them, and I have a, a moat with like a drawbridge, and I am invincible. And then like a a 200 foot tall stork titan appeared and just flew over the oh walls God. and oh started no. just oh my God. picking up dwarves and like throwing <laughs> them 50 yards into things. They would die. And I was like, oh, I guess, I guess that's why they put the caves... <laughs> Guess that's why Moria's <laughs> underground. It's the two hundred yeah, foot tall so storks. In my um fortress right now, I haven't opened it back up yet because there is a forgotten beast in the basement. <laughs> and the only thing that is really I, I mean, I have a, a a switch attached to some hatches that will close down on the stairs. So if I really need to shut down the cavern, it'll happen. Um it's just that I've discovered one of the quirks of this game that still works is that um, if you just make a door forbiddable, um, even if the uh, Forgotten Beast could access my doors via th that route, they'll just ignore it. So they'll just hang out down there. And so there's just been this horrible man with a poison, poison breath or something. Something awful I don't want to deal with. That flies also, which is why I thought of this. Uh, it's, I don't want to deal with this at all, but he's just chill in the basement as long as I keep the door locked. <laughs> he lives down it's there the now. That's his. That's <laughs> yeah. his basement. People come to visit the fortress, and you're like, what's past that? And you're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't open it. Don't think about it. It's, yeah. Yeah, I've been mining it. just like around it, basically. Yeah. There's like a whole place I blocked off. I know. I've got to be careful. I do. I'm trying, but there's gemstones down there. And I need them. That's true. There's no reason not yeah. to just dig. I mean, just a little deeper. What's the worst that can happen? 
Uh, lava. Horrible. Lava. Game game number five. Lava. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and and it took me until game number three, I think, either three or four, to actually build any sort of defenses. So I think game three mm-hmm. was the first one where I got far enough that I was like, man, I'm doing real well. And then like I just got bum rushed by beast up above. And I hadn't built like a door to close off the underground. So like they just swarmed in and and I was like, okay, that defenses. I love that every time I hear stories like this, it, I just feel like that that hanging guy meme where it's like, mm, first time mm, you didn't build doors. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that experience. Yeah. I'd had the I had an experience I'd never had, which was starting uh, in a little jungle and having immediately all of my dwarves' shit stolen by monkeys. <laughs> just a, a horde of little uh, brown capuchin monkeys just with their little cute uh, monk hoods being like, you know that stuff you have? It's ours now. We're leaving by. Oh, wow. Mike has yeah, not if, run if into you spawn critters in- that steal things yet. Well, they exist. No, if you spawn I have in the not. wrong biome, If you spawn in the wrong biome, you might just be doomed immediately. Yeah, that's. I have noticed that's I, another thing. If you accept the tutorials, pick uh, pick an embark site for me. It will generally, if one's available, put you in a spot in your world that's relatively safe. Right? It'll put you yeah. in a nice little mm-hmm. forest with good ore beneath your feet and some friends around to talk to. You know, humans to talk to. Hopefully not elves. Fuck elves. All my homies <laughs> hate elves. <laughs> but it will. It'll sort of put you in a decent spot to get started. No guarantee, though, because it's everything's still procedurally yeah. generated. There's no guarantees. Right. I saw someone's embark the other day. It had a dragon in it. Yep. Oh, <laughs> no. This dragon in it. You know, oh, no. That's... Yeah, well. <laughs> Try we're again. Hear, we're not going to hear from that colony again. If you click that um, little option in the settings menu that says show caves during embark, you can do that on purpose. Just make sure you embark on somewhere that's like a cave or whatever, and there's a decent chance you can find a dragon living in it. Uh, if you're Damn. if you're early enough in your world generation, I wanted to talk a little about a bit about world generation, um, because Dwarf Fortress lets you tweak all these little variables and things, but it lets you create worlds, right? And each world made has its own landscape and civilizations and terrain and creatures living in it. Some of which, you know, the the forgotten beasts of various kinds are also procedurally generated much of which is beyond procedurally generated, like poems, songs, traditions, ways of dance and performance, books, right? Like these worlds spit out just this incredible volume of information that you could, I mean, you could write 20 or 30,000 world word histories about these worlds and you would then what, just like delete the file and walk away. Yeah, I mean, it'll... It'll tell you if you go in there, it'll tell you the history of every kingdom that has ever risen and fallen, every person that has ever lived in this world in the however many years you can do, like 100 years, 250 years before your fort even starts. You can go back and read about every person that has ever lived and what they did and how they died. Yeah, and these historical events (laughs) exist inside your fort, right? So your dwarves, you can tell them, you know, go carve some carve some cool reliefs in the walls of our main hallway here, and they'll carve events from the history of their fortress, things that they remember, 
events from the history of their civilization and also just like their favorite stuff. Like one time I caught one of my dwarves and he had just filled an entire room with carvings of llamas because he was like, I really like llamas for their <laughs> so purest, it it llamas makes- for the, their jutting teeth or something like that. It was You're just like, I think they look silly. Amazing. Even the reason uh, that they like llamas. Yeah, it makes up gods. It makes up religions like it's. This is the part of Dwarf Fortress that, like, no other colony builder has ever come anywhere close. Yeah, like, I, I fired yeah. up Dwarf, the World Generation and made a 6,000-year a history world. Now How can, long did so, that take? Wow. It didn't take very long. So here's the thing, actually. This doesn't take very long anymore. Yeah, they've sped it Going, up. Uh, they've sped it up quite a bit, which is a, another reason just to, to play the Steam version. You can, play, you can play Dwarf Fortress without ever hitting go on the simulation, I believe, just by looking through... Legends mode, which is where you find all this information about all these different characters. Uh, they've added hyperlinking to Legends mode, which makes it a lot easier to sort of find these narratives also. And then also, I made a 10,000 year world just by d- turning it on overnight. Like someone said they made it in 90 minutes on the Dwarf Fortress oh, wow. subreddit. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it's really fast now. And it doesn't make it sound like your uh, computer is an airplane that's about to take off. <laughs> well, that is a little they, bit of They a smooth things out. But... Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so you've been just creating these like super long histories. Do you keep the worlds or are you just reading oh, yeah. the history? Okay. I keep them. I read the history. I might want to start, you know, um, a, a fortress in some of these worlds. Although in a lot of the worlds, the longer you keep them going, the fewer dwarven civilizations there are left in the world. So the 10,000 history year world, um, I think there's fewer than a thousand dwarves left in existence. Yeah, they become which, a lot of the time oh, wow. they'll... They go, or at least my experience, they go one of two ways. They either become, they all become more mundane over time, usually, as sort of yeah. the more fantastical creatures get killed off, right? Like the dragons all eventually die. The hydras disappear. The forgotten beasts come out of their lairs and are killed. And then they either turn to mostly peaceful civilizations of humans and some elves, or goblins take over the whole world. <laughs> I would love to just run it for like 50,000 years and then just jump into Goblin World and just see what that's like. You can, right? You can do that (laughs) in these games. You can you can be the last dwarves that exist, right? Your first seven dwarves and then you'll get a couple little waves of migrants and it's like, good luck. That's it. That's all of you. Now, I've I've been the the fortress I've been playing now. um, I did only 50 years generation. Like I wanted to play kind of a primordial like Aule just dug us out of the mud a short time ago <laughs> right and like we're we're kind of the first one of the first big mountain poems which is interesting because it there's also settings for this but it feels like the world is a lot wilder it will be yeah you don't yeah. don't give it a lot of time to generate there aren't a lot of big civilizations yet so. yeah the biome modifier that's like savage that makes it likely that giant monsters or giant creatures can appear and animal people can appear all of that is I think based on how far the area is from civilization. Uh, because speaking of the, if you're going to oh, kill right. something, you're going to kill the giant elephants first. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of like the, the creation. So like it, it, this creates like all of the, the royalty, but also like deities. That was another moment where I was like, uh, one of the unmet needs was pray to, uh, right. Air and while it was a bunch of gibberish, and I was like, <laughs> "What the hell is this? Like, like is this a, a specific shrine? No, it was just the the randomly generated deity for this world was named this, 
and they wanted statues and a place that they could pray to it. Uh, that again, trying to figure out like these little bits, like be extravagant. I'm like, what does, do you just yeah. need rings? What, what do you want from me? <laughs> You don't. Here's the thing. I was actually um, looking at. So a big conflict that is occurring in the Dwarf Fortress community is uh, over the new labor system in the game, which is not as specific as it used to be. Right. You used to really be able to nitty gritty, sometimes with mod assistance, make custom labors for each individual dwarf in your fortress. And I would just pause the game and then be like, "Okay, dwarf therapist time. I got a new migrant wave. And I would just for like half an hour resort out all the management systems basically that doesn't really work anymore i'm not sure really how to describe it but it's like more like you have the labors and you assign the dwarves to them instead of you have the dwarves and you assign labors to them essentially so like work crews like this is my group of people who are carpenters and they're allowed to work with wood yes yes and you can get more specific than that and you can create more work labors but the thing that it seems to be that the players are having a difficulty with is that they, they can't control what the dwarves do all of the time. And here's the thing about the, the unmet needs also. Some of those dwarves are just going to be little bitches that are just unhappy all of the time and stressed out always because that's how they, they were born. Like, that's just how God made them. <laughs> that's definitely and, true. <laughs> you know, and you won't be able to make them happy. You can't make them happy. A really, you just can't. And I recommend people read it. Um, a piece that someone wrote over on Polygon. Uh, it's just like the devastating story of their first time playing Dwarf Fortress uh, with this release. And it's just it's about their 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 craftsperson who was a legendary metalsmith or what have you, but found no joy in their work ever. And it's heartbreaking. That's the saddest thing. And that's like, yeah, sometimes you won't be able to solve. You won't be able to solve that problem. And it'll just be like. Some guys will. I have so many guys in my fortress that want to be extravagant. And I don't know what that means either. It means they but. want something fancy um, oh, to wear. So they I need see. to wear an item with like a quality modifier. So like the minus signs or the plus signs or the asterisks or what have you. So a good way to do it is just to like tell one person to make like a million nice rings encrusted with gems. And then everyone in your fortress will put on like 10 rings and they'll have a wonderful time. Though I think dwarves Fantastic can wear rings or something like that. The one I keep seeing that I thought was hilarious is think abstractly. Uh, like they have an unmet <laughs> need to th- to think abstractly. And I'm like, I don't know. I guess if I leave them alone, eventually they'll have an abstract thought. I don't yeah, know. I mean, they'll develop a sense of ennui. I, that sounds like <laughs> you should really. I have no idea. I've seen that one before, too, but I've never worried about it. Do I need to make abstract art? Like, maybe, Do you have a library? Yeah. I bet they want to read books yeah. or something like that. Yeah. That's I my favorite dwarf right now, though, because he's he's such a weird little guy. Yeah. You should build him a library and make him a scholar <laughs> so he can think abstractly. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Because they'll write little treatises on the things that they enjoy. He's also my best miner, so I feel like it's <laughs> it's a oh, push no. and pull between, oh, do I want him to do what he's good at, or should I let him do what we actually the, the minor philosopher. Yeah. Well, here's, here's wow. Where that what he actually system comes in handy, right? Because you can, you can <laughs> click that little hammer and tell them to only do things they're assigned, right? So you can say, be a minor and also be a scholar. And that's the only things that you, you should do specifically. And they'll split their time between the two. I am a huge fan of the new labor system. I like it um, a lot too. I do too. Because it, it makes your manager, your fortress manager, smart in that. 
they uh, automatically ask the person with the highest skill in that thing on that work detail to do it. So you don't have to worry about only telling specifically your legendary carpenter or whatever to be allowed to use a specific workshop or be allowed to make things at all. It, it basically makes a lot of the previous overlapping systems finally make sense, right? Like uh, assigning a dwarf to a specific, specific workshop was something I never did uh, in the, uh, the previous versions of Dwarf Fortress because you could really just make it so the only the dwarves that are good at that particular thing would do that thing as long as you took the time to like go through freaking everybody in your fortress. You know, it's a very tedious process. But, you know, here, now it becomes obvious. Oh, if I've got a legendary weaponsmith, then I should make them a special little place for them to make their special legendary armor. And that, that makes sense, finally. Yeah. Like, I can build a little attached room and stockpile for the legendary weaponsmith. And I can say, this is your forge. Yeah. Go to town. Yeah. I also think the, the designating rooms is just such a much oh, simpler process. You can click and Probably, drag. I know. <laughs> clicking, clicking and dragging. Oh my god, we live in a time of such bounty. It's almost pornographic after like a goblin siege <laughs> when you get out there and you're like, I'd like to claim all the goblins artifacts in one click rather than oh clicking each, like going each tile one by one with my keyboard and permitting all these items. Just go ahead and melt all this down, guys. That would be awesome. Mm. The other thing I think is great about the new interface is it just it makes information so much quicker to access. Oh, Which yeah. is like in a game where you're basically doing forensic detective work to figure out what happened to find like the stories that are buried underneath the tile layer. It's just so nice to be able to navigate all those tabs so much quicker and just be able to put those stories together so much easier. It is. It absolutely is. And people have also already figured out um, that something available for modding is notifications too so like if yeah. there's things you want to be notified that aren't right now or even to have them pause the game people are already working on mods that take care of that stuff and i just i love that so much i've already seen one uh, on steam workshop that adds a, a noise for every every alert which for me that would set off my adhd stuff way too much to do yeah, i that can't would blow up my handle brain. that mm -hmm. <laughs> i would become a monster but I can see why I see why people are upset the game doesn't pause on migrant waves and artifact stuff anymore. But I don't mind because I am pathologically going through all of my announcements all the time because I don't want anything to be on the screen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm on top of it. You know, <laughs> sucks to be you, but I'm different. <laughs> <laughs> what did y'all have trouble keeping track of? Was there any specific thing that you found frustrating with this release? Uh, for I, me, oh, go ahead. It's just, um, I want to go into the new work orders screen more because I feel like getting able to get a good count on how much of you, of what you have all the time is more difficult now than it used to be. Right. Finding the kitchen tab and like allowing and forbidding different ingredients, uh, used to be easier than it is now. And so it's just getting an inventory of everything. But that, I know that there's options in the work order screen that allow you to automate some of these processes better. Like I used to have a huge amount of shells in my fortress. So I went and I made a work order so that if I ever had more than 10 shells, I would make continuous work orders for 10 shell crafts until I was completely out of them. And that would just happen every time I got shells in my fortress. So it seems like there's a solution to this, but it's really, it, it is really complicated. 
Yeah, but those are my my related actually to my two things. One is I'd like to be able to like if I need six cups to be able to say I need six cups rather than creating six separate work orders or setting it to like right now it's just you either make each work order or you tell them to make cups uh you know forever as long as they have resources and then just stop when you have six. Wait, um, are you using the work order screen or are you queuing things up on individual workshops? Oh, he's queuing things up on individual. workshops. Yes. Wait, you can a use the work screen. There's a little clip. There's a different screen. <laughs> yeah. There's a no! different screen where you can order six cups exactly. I no! just found this. I just found this out today, so I'm not surprised that you didn't find so, it. The tutorial um, stops right before you would make you would do this. And it makes me nuts, actually, because I, I feel like that's the worst part of the tutorial. I actually completely agree. I, yeah. They set you they enable yeah. the ability by making you appoint a manager. And then they don't teach yeah. you what a manager does. <laughs> wow. The manager does serious? resolve something that I'm sure is a headache for you that you hate. Yeah. <laughs> so like every time I set up a tavern or something like that, I'm like, all right, we got to make four tables. And I set a work <laughs> order for each one. And then no. like all the chairs and then like the work. Oh, God. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it that way. There's uh, an easier way. And then, and then, yes, the other problem is uh, then I'm like, also like, what? all do I have? Like how many yeah. actual cups and picks and doors do I have it's, on hand? It's like, hard so that, yeah, that to find that information. Yeah. But the menu is also really slow. It makes my game really, really lag. So I never want to touch it. Yeah. That stocks button I found once the fortress gets a little mature, that button at the top that tells you like everything that's around as soon as I've been playing and I've got like a hundred plus dwarves, it does start to really slow down. Yeah. I really, there's some, I'm at the point where I'm like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should just rent some time on like a, an AI processing computer. And then <laughs> use that to play Dwarf Fortress by a terminal. You know, honestly, this, it would be interesting because this would be one of the only games where, you would you would subscribe to a service like that, like a remote PC service, specifically to get more CPU power, not necessarily because you don't have a good enough graphics card. Yeah, it's like, that's yeah. really funny. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, it, it, what, what, what are you guys playing on? Oh, my God. I um, <laughs> my wealthy friend who I love for reasons other than his wealth, let me, quote unquote, borrow his gaming PC when I moved to New York four years ago. I don't really know, but he said at, four years ago that it was top of the line. So it's beginning to show his its age a little bit. Right. I have a Ryzen um, 3700X, and I have not yet hit the point where performance is like a major issue for me yet. But my fortress is at like 58 dwarves right now. So it's like, that's honestly not that big. So we'll see how it goes. I think what about you? John? I think that one of the um, I have a AMD's last year model, which I can no longer. Okay, keep so, so you're, you're up to date. Yeah, I'm very yeah, up like, to date. And I think the, the trick also with Dwarf Fortress is that it stresses hardware in ways that we don't focus on in the gaming industry. Generally, it wants if if what I've talked to people about in the past and read, I'm I'm only tangentially a hardware guy, is that it wants your CPU to have a lot of cash so that it can remember the things it's trying to process because it wants to go through these giant lists of 
materials and stuff rather than speed or, or, you know, a bajillion cores, because it doesn't use a bajillion cores, which is a huge debate in the community. It wouldn't truly speed it up that much, um, is my understanding from, from talking to programmers, but it, it's a thing we don't optimize CPUs for anymore, especially in gaming, because we offload a lot of that work to graphics cards. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I'm two AMDs, two AMD generations back uh, with the, you know, the 5000 series. And I have last year's RTX. So I haven't had any, like I have enough RAM performance hardware. I haven't had any real slowdowns yet. Like I can play this while doing other stuff and I haven't run. Uh, I, I hear there, there is a point at which point your, 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 fortress and world has gone on so long that it just kills the memory i have not gotten there yet without dying (laughs) i believe that one day you will get to the point where your fortress is so good at not dying that it instead kills your pc that's 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 like your graduation from dwarf fortress when you hit f that's me going up the steps and rocky you know yeah yeah Yeah. well we did it, Adrian. We killed the PC. Well, just so that we can tell Mike so he knows in the future, in the bottom left corner, there's a little clipboard shaped button. And that is how you give work orders to your manager. Who will then. Or you can press O on the you keyboard. Can press o. It'll open up the same menu. Yes. And it will. Uh, that's where you can sort of set conditional orders for your dwarves. You can be like, okay, anytime we have more than 10 bones sitting around, I want you guys to carve them into little dwarf tchotchkes. Huh. Learned something new today. So you yeah, will I have literally learned that I today. Really so, sincerely yeah. hope it improves your Joy Fortress experience because you are correct. That is a miserable way to play. And it, it sucks that the game doesn't tell you. The tutorializing is better than it was, clearly. But another thing I feel like is that there's some, there's like, I, I wouldn't say a polish issue. It's just that this game has so much going on. It's impossible to explain it all. And new players are just going to be left in the dust just by the. But this this game has been in development for twenty years. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. that's just how do you onboard people to this? I think you've got to be really it's, hungry. You got to want it to a certain extent. I, yeah. I find it not intimidating, but exciting that there's so much going on. And I think that's part of what got me into Dwarf Fortress in the first place was, uh, as a you know a teenager who was obsessed with words and loved learning new words and reading. I I think Dwarf Fortress was one of the first things I ever experienced that taught me that there was a specific word. There was out there a specific word for everything, right? Like the day I had to learn yeah. what a quern was, was the day mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> I love this. This is good. For me, there's a little bit of uh, so many people told me this game was super hard that I was eventually like want to bet. And I just <laughs> made it a, a, ch- a challenge. To my, I'm, I'm a, a little bit. Like I went to a pizza place one time and they're like, this is the best pizza you'll have outside of Italy. And it was like, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> like I, I'm just a little bit like that, you know, but also it is an extremely literary game in a way that video games I don't think generally are. It's not just about the volume of writing produced, but that it feels very specifically authored by people like we yeah. talked about previously. And that to me is something I'll always find fascinating that even in a procedurally generated world that feels completely random every single time, I will always find something that feels very particular to Tarn adams which if you ever had a chance to email him for any reason whatsoever the nicest person in the world 
who just wants to see a picture of your cat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's and John, you mentioned in your review, I think you described it as like it's a game that was very clearly made by like a small group of artisans. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like these (laughs) these guys are brothers, Tarn and Zach Adams. They grew up together and they had parents who let them do weird things and be weird. And so they made their weird game together in a in a incredibly good way, right? That it's so the product of two human minds. And it's yes. cool. And I think that's a as we come upon the age of AI generated stuff, I think that's a really great yeah. thing to point out about procedural generation as an alternative, where Dwarf Fortress is procedurally generated. And so all the conceivable variables that have gone into it weren't created by uh, an algorithm trying to mimic and scrape material from human writing it is human writing and i think like that's why he is definitely right like it has a literary energy and and at least for me one of the things uh, about this the steam port specifically and and this sort of goes towards larger game design trends like the more graphics you add on top of stuff uh the less detailed your simulation in game can sometimes be uh, especially, you know, in terms of RPGs, simulation, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. they found, I, I think, the right line in yeah. updating this visually without losing that part of Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, like it, it just makes clear what previously to you was like hidden between the, the assy art, basically, where you couldn't find the story, but now you can find it because instead of being a little smiley face, that's a dwarf. Right, like an actual visual dwarf. I'm like, okay, I can tell that's a dwarf. I know which dwarf that is. Like, yeah. That's all I need. And if you move, if they moved even beyond that, then to to reach the art, they would have had to cut back maybe on some of the simulations here and there. And, and again, that's the sort of gulf that you can see in something like RimWorld yeah. between Dwarf Fortress. Like RimWorld and making a game... And making those visuals, you can see the stuff that they had to sort of cut or cut back in order to make that work. Yeah, I was just thinking that, actually, that, you know, RimWorld has some minor basic animations. Your Fortress does not have any animations. Sprites just move. They, they move and they stand places and when they're, they haul things that hauling is not represented visually. And in RimWorld, they do do all those things. What's a big, major, obvious difference between RimWorld and Dwarf Fortress? You have much smaller colonies in RimWorld. They can't have that many characters animating those many things all the time. You just can't. Or else your computer would explode. Right. Yeah. Dwarf Fortress is more interested in being like, well, they're carrying a wooden bucket and they're right near the lava. Is it going to catch on fire? Yeah. Yeah. Or that can happen. Cool. Good to know. Fuck. (laughs) Well, the other really interesting thing, like games like ongoing, like live service games was not really a thing when Dwarf Fortress came out and that, you know, 2006, 2007, you know, it, it wasn't really expected that you would buy a game and it would still be getting updates, you know, 15 years later, you know, 20 years later, whatever. And like you'll read, I I just saw an interview with Tarn Adams recently, where he's like, "Yeah, so we're thinking about for the law update that's going to be coming like four or five years from now, 
<laughs> like they have like and like there there's like blog posts on Steam on the Dwarf Fortress page. They're like, you know, we plan to support this game for like at least another 30 years. So uh, it's, it's like the idea that this is like someone's life project where it's just it's going to keep evolving. And, you know, at this point, I don't think that they're, they have any like pro- worries like that this is going to be a financial burden to work on. Um, it was actually outselling Call of Duty on Steam. I think it's still outselling Call of Duty on Steam. Good. That's um, wild. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. It like that's another thing that just makes it so unique is that I could step away from this game for seven years and come back and be like, wow, they've really changed a lot. And then, you know, I could do that two or three times. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 this makes me think, you know, a very tired and very boring conversation. But like when I think about why other artistic institutions like the fine arts and cinema grandly, they they don't sort of they're not interested in video games as an industry or as an artistic practice as very much. You know, I I talked about this a little bit at an NYU talk I did with the Game Design Center. And one of the things I mentioned was there there was, you know, there video games do show up in these artistic institutions. So like Dwarf Fortress is in the MoMA, you know, but there was also at the Whitney, you know, uh, Cory Archangel's uh, uh, solo show that had a lot of video game references and video game, you know, pieces within it. But there's no sort of cross-cultural conversation about these things, really. And it makes me just think about Dwarf Fortress and the, the quality of the thing that it is. It's it, what they're looking like. This is the thing, right? This is this is the one thing that I can think of that speaks to both those worlds. And it's just so remarkable. I don't know. It makes me want to start crying sometimes. <laughs> like I think it's so beautiful. Look at you with a uh, yeah. with, uh, with all your talk of culture and beauty and museums, uh, museums and strong air quotes like that. I'm I'm not going to say that the art world does not have problems because they certainly fucking do. You know, it's so notable that NFT guys went after the art world and video games first. Because, like, that just says everything. It says everything. (laughs) But, like, I do think about this because I do, like, it's very obvious to me that video games are art. We don't want to have the conversation ever again in my life. But I do wonder why the worlds don't speak to each other. And you can see it in these moments like this where this is just a really particular thing. Like, this is just a really specific thing. And the video game industry as it exists they don't, they really kind of smooth out those particularities out of things, out of artistic output. And that's a lot of what people see. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's hard to find the specific moment in Dwarf Fortress that you can point to, to someone who's really interested in the fine arts and say, oh, this, this is the hook for you, right? This is where this is where you can start to understand how this is a, a work of art. And it's, it's, you know, it's probably telling that one of the best comparisons in that space is to look at outsider art and people who spent their lives working on strange work that wasn't recognized by established institutions until often long after their death. Mm-hmm. Because to me, in many ways, Dwarf Fortress feels like something that the Adams brothers would be making together, even if no one had ever downloaded the free version of the video game. Like they oh, yeah. might well still be working on it. 
it really reminds me of the story of uh, of Radiohead and how they got together. That Tom York was just sort of not really concentrating well in school, really wanted to be in a band, and he went to a particular school where they allowed him to do so. And they named their band the same people that are in Radiohead now on a Friday because that was the only day that they were allowed to practice. And they would have continued to make music if they'd never become Radiohead. Like that is a certain thing about Tarn Adams. You know, they just feel like this is the same kind of narrative, the same kind of drive to make this thing. This thing would always exist. I'm just so glad that we get to see it in this state where they're finally like getting their flowers and everyone can see how influential and fascinating this game is. Yeah, I love that there's that thread on the Steam forums where, let me see if I can pull it up real quick, but it basically was somebody asking, like, you know, what's up with all these 10 out of 10 Dwarf Fortress reviews? You guys haven't even played the Steam version yet. Are you telling me that there are just like thousands of people that have been playing the free version for 20 years and are just waiting to pay $30 for it? And it's like 17 pages of people just posting the word yes. I, just, I think it actually got over like 100 pages. Just, it's 190 pages now. Oh, wow. my, oh my God. It has, it has 2,840 responses. Listen, add best, my yes to that. It's just people saying is yes. It, is it the best reviewed game on Steam of all time? I don't know I, if anybody's yeah, actually done that. I don't that know, yet, and Steam but. won't tell us for a while, I don't think. <laughs> and because of like how it, they calculate uh, these things. Yeah, it's 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 like an unbelievable number of positive reviews. Like you can't really find this reception anywhere else. So, like you talk about the about the craft of it, and and part of the issue I think is like, when are you going to find this from new people? Um, because I I, I just think most most people jumping on to game development now aren't necessarily going to start in text and simulation. Like you have a bunch of like uh, the, the Adams brothers or you have like spider web software, which is also like two people. I think that's right. a husband and wife um, who are out here just making sort of like real old school, real deep, unique games that really are a reflection of them. And not to say that other games are not, but like people who are jumping on indie game development now are starting, you know, with like unity and unreal. So they're making games that they can make in those tools, which are generally more, you know, action oriented, like, and so like, I'm wondering like, where do those, the, the, not to say that there aren't, uh, you know, more text-based game tools out there. There are, uh, a lot of people do uh, great work with uh, visual novels and uh, interactive fiction. I just there's just not as much of that in terms of people jumping on now. So, yeah, I think yeah. part of it is uh, Tarn Adams, the Harvard graduate mathematician, <laughs> so he's like particularly <laughs> yeah. suited to the skill of making this game. And another thing, I, I do think there is like a tone similarity and a sort of artistic focus similarity in on other kinds of games. Like I do sort of see the sort of point of view, sort of I would have made this game even if no one ever made it, it like point of view. I see it in, in some places in some new games, not in so much in a textual focus, although I think Disco Elysium can pretty much, 
you know, that that the adventure game, modern adventure game and the game and specifically Disco Elysium, which turns an adventure game entirely into just visual novel. Um, that really makes sense to me as an antecedent from it. But, but more than that, it's Cruelty Squad, which is another game that just wants to take a specific genre of game and then turn it inside out. And it does it in a completely different approach and is, in fact, not very textual at all and is like low poly 3D. Yep. Almost but offensively. It, well, yeah, it is offensively, offensively so. It's, it's yep. intentionally <laughs> offensively so. Right. I won't <laughs> like, that. No, it's hard to look at, man. Uh, it's an assault on the eyes. It's difficult. But it's also like this feels like a game where this person would have made this no matter what. And they'll just keep making it forever. I don't think that this person, this developer is really going to do anything other than Cruelty Squad. Cruelty Squad is like such an intense artistic statement that you're it's cruelty squad for the rest of your life now right. you know yeah. and i think i think the games like that probably aren't gonna emerge uh, as as communities especially on the internet get more and more fragmented and smaller the games that are going to be the dwarf fortresses in 10 to 15 years where we're going to be like wow this person's been working on this for forever are going to come as ever greater surprises right yeah gonna blow that, up out that of is nowhere true. on us and like star sector got really yeah. big last year but that guy's been working on the game since 2011 yeah like i remember um, uh what was it uh demon souls actually it was the original oh. demon souls popping up uh yeah i was a big person on f13 uh which is a forum that is still out there but everyone was talking about and and so i have a old original copy of demon souls and that was really the starting of the souls but like yeah that's fewer, like singular communities where you can find out like so true unless you're like you know indie games on reddit but even then like a lot it's of that stuff is is really like, what's sad. the popular indie right you know it, it is really sad it makes me really sad i think another good example of this is the 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 sort of um eight bit four bit uh jinji ito inspired procedural horror game oh world of horror uh, yeah World yeah. of War. I first talked to that guy the first year I worked at Kotaku, and it, the game looked completely different. But it's having a, it's having a Switch release this year, and all I can think of is like that person in Poland has just decided he was going to do this game and do it until it was done. And it is harder and harder for it to find those communities of like minded people right. that are making games in that way. They are out there, and they do totally take us by surprise every time. But Dwarf Fortress exists because it was able to latch onto a, a sort of a, a fan base of gamers that were used to playing games in this way already and who were going to support it and help support these two developers if they could. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And it helps that they were involved in that late 90s, early 2000s dev community of people who had a, a little website and were making fun, funny little games and giving them away for free to each other. And that's why, like, I, I, oh, I always yeah. make the joke that this is Slaves to Armok, God of Blood, Chapter 2, because that was the roguelike they were working on before they made Dwarf Fortress. And it, it yeah. technically uh, is, but they've, I mean, they've <laughs> dropped that title completely by now, right? But that's what this was called. My, my was out, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was out there with my silly little RPG Maker 2000 games. Yeah, that's <laughs> a road not taken for me. I, I was, uh, playing Dwarf Fortress and my partner came by and was like, is that, is that Moria? And I was like, what's Moria? Which apparently is an old uh, roguelike based on Lord of the Rings, which also 
was, you know, one of those text-based games, but like the fact that they walked by and they were just like, Oh man, I remember playing something exactly like that. Those old weird text-based games, uh, like just shows the impact of that scene back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. And games like rogue, which obviously has been outrageously, uh, outrageously built upon i guess more i think moria is one of those that's like is this the first one or is rogue the first one or is horror hack moria one i don't remember i just looked it up because i was curious and moria on the wikipedia it says that it influenced the preliminary design of diablo right so this also has Mm. a long 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 shadow yeah i think that's such a great example though because in so many ways that is the the question here is like if someone had just kept making Moria since 1980 whatever, it would be a lot like War Fortress. Whereas Diablo is like War Fortress is like they were working on a roguelike and they were like oh no this I mean this is never going to work unless we simulate all of reality. We just can't. Get <laughs> Whereas you you can you can look at Diablo four. There's previews coming out right now for it. That's like and thus this is. What happens to that lineage when it gets over commercialized for better and for worse? So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I literally one of those previews was me. I wrote, I played <laughs> Diablo Four, um, and so like it's just weird, like seeing these lineage. Like I call it, I usually refer to it on the film side. I call it the Flash Gordon effect, uh, which in like if you showed Flash Gordon the original serials to someone now, like they don't really get it. Uh, because all the stuff that Flash Gordon really started is has been, you know, distributed between like, you know, Ubiquitous. Star Wars and stuff like. And so they don't understand like, no, this this was the starting point. This was the step right here. And Dwarf Fortress and games like Mori and all that stuff and Rogue are like those games like you you show that to someone now and they're like, I don't necessarily get it, but they're so meaningful in terms of the entire genre or, you know, even the yeah. history of gaming. Shout out to Rowan, who is still trying to get me to play Ultima seven, which just does not look good at all to me, but apparently <laughs> you need to play it to understand how RPGs became RPGs. Um, yeah. Shout out to Rowan. For being I feel the, that way. Shout out to Rowan. And just in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and like in some ways, Dwarf Fortress does still come across that way until you start digging into it. Like if you just look at it as a game, where it's, it's like, does. "Well, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a storage you room, and I'm gonna mind. make a bedroom." <laughs> I, the, yeah. This is such a great example of uh, when you're so far yeah. inside something that you can't see it from the exterior. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, and it's like a lot of this has become ubiquitous in the million colony Sims games that have come out since Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, um, yeah. But I don't think any of them have ever done it as well. For one thing, again, they're not simulating all of reality. Um, or as thoroughly. But also they right? just... Like, not just in like oh, right, a simulate yeah. all of reality way, just yeah. uh, they take single systems and then iterate the shit out of them. So, uh, you know, a number of years ago, 20... 14 or 15 they added memories to the game where dwarves had a memory that lasted longer than the last like couple seasons of their life to decide on things and so they form these vital memories and they hold them and they care about them a lot so like 
you can have a dwarf who's like looks up at a vast and beautiful waterfall and then remembers seeing that waterfall for the rest of their life and is having a bad day and then thinks about the waterfall again and is like, man, that was that was incredible. I'm so glad I lived to see that waterfall. And it sort of turns their day around. Right. Whereas other games, the Clementine will remember this example is perfect because it is that's the same things that they're telling us later clementine's going to remember that but they don't so profoundly play on everything you possibly could have done and have everything be remembered yeah, yeah that's it, it it's a it's um feels like a dwarf fortress thing because it's a shortcut to, to feeling it really worked on people too like now that is such a standard of games of that type and in, in also of many, many different kinds of RPGs now. And it's, it works, and, but you really see how well it works in Dwarf Fortress. Like, you just really feel... You know, it's like, I don't idly wonder if The Walking Dead is alive. You know? Right. I feel like sometimes in Dwarf Fortress that these characters are alive, and I have to stop myself from <laughs> feeling that way. You know? It just gives you a level of detail in a, a richness of detail of what's happening in there that a part of you just gives into the fantasy, which is to me, I guess, the ultimate result of what I want out of a video game where you're just fully involved and you fully feel that it is reality. Absolutely. Yeah. I, so I had this moment happen while I was playing for review and uh, it sort of devastated me at the time. And I keep I keep thinking about it and I probably, you know what, it's become a memory that I'm going to think about every once in a while for a long time, maybe the rest of my life. But um, I was, my fortress is under attack by goblins and I had had to seal the exterior because my military had been pretty badly wounded. And so I needed time to regroup before I went back after them. And so I had this, it was a, a pretty bad situation, pretty grim, like 20 dwarves had died and a bunch of others were wounded. And my hospital is flooded with dwarves Everything, there's blood splattered all over everything, the beds, the floor, the tables, the boxes where they keep this thread for sewing up wounds, the buckets of soap. This is a very Dwarf Fortress moment where there's a ton of material things around that I've had to make to make this happen. But And then suddenly I get this notification that pops up complete with sort of a church bell sound where two of the doctors in my fortress, a doctor and a surgeon, have paused mid-surgery. Like there's a patient open on the table as this crisis is going around to get married. And they do it. They get <laughs> oh married God. right there in the hospital. And it's, oh my God. it's poignant and heartbreaking because it's like they decided to get married now because this might be the end and they would rather die together than apart, which I like I'm a sucker to for a wedding. So obviously that worked on me, but Oh my god! It's, a, it's just it's an, such a good story. It can, it's it can such only a good happen story. in a game this deep, right? They they did that, and it's you know it's poignant, but it's also it's fucking hysterical because <laughs> they're completely <laughs> yeah, covered is. in blood. It's like equally, but it's equally touching and hilarious. Yeah. Like, and that's Dwarf Fortress, like in a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> everyone attending the wedding is covered in blood. The, the guy officiating it is covered in blood. Who I then clicked Beautiful. on, and he's their friend. He's both of their friend. I'm like, well, this is oh breaking my, my heart, right? Oh did, no! Oh god! Did did they survive? They did. They still live oh, in my no. fortress, and they like to listen to poetry together in the fucking tavern. Oh my god! 
Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. This is the best. I have tears in my eyes. It's a delight. This is really the best game. This is really the best game. It's just a game with the hundreds of your blurbos. (laughs) Your blurbos of your shows, they're all in your fortress. (laughs) I don't want harm to befall any of them, but also when they die, it's their fault. Yeah, and then it just and usually it's kind of funny. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Like at the same time, it's hysterical. Sometimes you're like, "Man, that little baby just ran through the middle of a combat and got punted into a wall." That's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, you can't help but laugh. Like uh, it's, the Legends mode stories for me are the ones that make me just like want to stare into the middle distance for a while. I saw one in the six hundred uh, six thousand year history world. Uh, there's a silver short sword uh, legend artifact that I found, and I was like, oh, cool. The swords, swords usually come with cool stories. This one only had one kill. A dwarf had killed another dwarf, which was unusual. So I checked out who the, the murderer dwarf was, and he did not fight in any other battles for the rest of his life. He just killed that one person, and I was like, wild. Okay, who is this person? Their childhood friend. That oh. went insane and attacked them when they tried to make an artifact oh. and fail. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. like, oh, so one dwarf made something incredible, made an artifact, and their yeah. friend also then tried to make an artifact and failed and tried to kill the successful friend. friend. Yeah. Dwarf Fortress, And he struck everybody. him down with his I, artifact. I oh just want to go play more Dwarf Fortress. I'm thinking about it. It's really a lot right <laughs> it's now. All I, can I had Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I mean, there's so many games came out last week, but Dwarf Fortress was like, like I was playing Dragonflight for review, Diablo for the preview, Need for Speed came out, Midnight Suns came out, but Dwarf Fortress was there in the background being like, you know you want to come back. It's yeah. that uncanny ability to make you think about it when you're not playing that is also unique to that game for me. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it's, such a great point. It's in your brain. Yeah. Other games, when I'm thinking about them in the back of my brain, I'm thinking about like, oh, I think it would be cool if I did a game where I did this mechanical strategy or a game where I, you know, tried to beat it using only some weird weapon or used only my favorite characters instead of the optimal characters, right? Dwarf Fortress, when I'm thinking about it between sessions, I'm like, I hope that those two doctors are going to be okay. Or I'm like, (laughs) I should build them a cool waterfall to walk through near the wells. That would be nice. The dwarves would like that. I was trying to think like what my most memorable story was. And I don't think that I have like, a very distinct memory of anything that like detailed and personal. But I do remember that probably my most memorable fort was the first one where I got on my feet enough to um, make it to the point of delving too greedily and too deep, which like at one point this was considered spoilers. Like you weren't supposed to talk about it on the forum. Still kind of if people had kind of aren't, but also gotten there yet. So so I won't give a lot of details, um, but yeah, this was like in the original, like where it was just a 2D plane version. So it was basically how far into the mountain horizontally have you gone? And also I was using like a newbie pack, so it did have some graphics. It wasn't just the pure ASCII, but I just remember I like I was like, oh, yeah, like I get this game now. This is great. 
I got my fortress bustling. I got my mushroom farm. We're making beer. Everyone's having a great time. Wait, what's that? What? Oh, is he dead? Wait, what is that thing? And I'm just like pausing and like mousing over and reading the description of um, this entity that now exists in my fort. And I was like, oh, oh. I think the form oh. parlance. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Which oh, no. I, I we... really love is uh, lock you, the hallway. Yeah. You dug into the circus and you found the clowns. Yes. <laughs> now yeah, the clowns exactly. are here, and those clowns yeah. are scary. The circus has come to town. Yeah, um, yeah. If if you keep digging, you'll find some stuff. I'll tell you that. You'll find some stuff that makes your life more interesting. You will, and uh, delightfully, in the Steam version, there is new stuff to find down there. Oh, fuck. Oh, amazing. And it appears that, uh, that- mu- at least as far as I can tell, <laughs> and I've had a couple other people make similar comments, much of the geography of what is beneath the earth has changed. Okay. There is new and different stuff down there to find. And I love, I just love that. A lot of the stuff that previously only existed in adventure mode of Dwarf Fortress, which we've not Ooh. talked about, but. It's not in the Steam release, but it's very good. It's an entire it- mode where you can take one of these worlds and play it as a roguelike. <laughs> I don't know other they way did to it. say that. <laughs> you yeah, did it, everybody. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous that this game exists, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. Ridiculous and beautiful. Put it on the cover of a physical release <laughs> that will never come. It is so much jackass the video game in so many ways, in that everyone's getting hurt and I love those fucking guys. <laughs> <laughs> they are dying yeah, for yeah. our amusement, and that is just true, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I am Glorthuk, the hammer of knowing, and welcome to Jackass. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be a mod. Someone please listen to this creative mod that adds the Jackass theme song to the soundtrack when you open up the game. <laughs> oh, wow. I got to say, though, I um, I fear for myself with this release, especially because I feel like, a, you know, the, the Matrix moment where you see the code and you can see the Matrix, not the code. Dwarf Fortress, I yeah. think, was the, people have used the metaphor. That's what Dwarf Fortress was like. Um, but now I'm starting. I feel like there's a second layer of code beneath it, which is I've started to recognize and be able to read some of the dwarven language words, and that oh, no. is real <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so you're in too deep, John. In too, and deep. I feel like once you're in this deep, uh, the only choice is to delve far more greedily and deeply. what you gotta there's do only, yeah, there's yeah. only that choice so i'd like to sort of round it up see if uh people have any sort of last thing to say and talk about with regard to dwarf fortress lynn yeah um i know there was a question that i missed earlier about like what i feel like it could maybe do better i think the the world generation screen still terrifies me on some level um just with like the number of options you get. And then like you can run filters right. after you've generated a world that are like hyper specific. Yeah, like I want to play a in fortress. a jungle area with a deep layer of clay soil and iron. And <sighs> yeah, I, I think that like me, may, like maybe a little bit more of like a wizard, almost uh wizard in the sense of like the old school computer term um, kids. That's uh when you click next a bunch of times to set up a piece of software that like maybe would, 
like ask you questions about the kind of world you want instead of making you set all of these parameters individually, because I get such decision paralysis when I'm like, all right, this is going to be the run. This is going to be the fortress I stick with. So everything has to be perfect. And then I just get like stuck on the world generation screen for like 45 minutes. Um, It'd be nice if if, there was something that would would sort of walk me through that like a little bit. Um, But uh, other than that, I don't think there's much to say that we haven't already said it's it is one of the best games of all time. It's definitely one of my favorite games of all time. I don't think there's anything like it. And you should definitely play it and go in with a mindset of. I'm going to die horribly and it's going to be hilarious and it's going to make an interesting story. And then eventually I'll know what I'm doing. That's wonderful. Uh, (laughs) Um, I think my thing is if you've listened to all this and you still feel intimidated by it or don't know where you would start, the community for this game loves this game and loves to evangelize this game. And the first way that I, when I really decided I was going to get back into it and learn it, God damn it. It was after reading Boat Murder, the something awful forum Let's yes, Play succession absolutely. game. There are a lot of really good Let's Plays, and now there are Dwarf Fortress YouTubers as well. And they do a lot to sort of help you into the world where you understand where the people who evangelize about this game, what they're actually talking right. about. I also really highly recommend the YouTuber Krug Smash. Absolutely. K-R-U-G-G Smash. And Kit Fox has hired him to do a series oh of, of new player tutorials and stuff videos so this is great this guy's wonderful perfect. he That's draws perfect. like cartoon car- crayon drawings of things from the game based on the descriptions and it i it cannot be described how delightful this is yeah i'm i'm trying to get my my boyfriend's gone on a lot of journey, youtube journeys with me and i i think i've roped him into yet another one but watching his his best videos are just sort of feel like slice of life anime about living in a fortress it's just yes. really wonderful <laughs> That's a perfect description. Yeah. They're so good. They're so good. I'm I need my favorite when I got started was Honey Stoker, which is where I would start, where he decides he wants to do an all vampire fortress. He doesn't figure it out for a long time. So you get a very long period of just dwarfy stuff. But then once he does his little gimmick, you sort of understand, oh, I can do lots of really weird, silly, creative things in this game if I try hard yeah. enough. And you really can. You will never run out of stuff to do. Like there, there's so much weird stuff. You will never run out of new ideas and stuff you want to do. <laughs> really Absolutely. well. Uh, Mike, any last thoughts on Dwarf Fortress? Uh, like me, if you've you've played a whole bunch of Colony Sims, you've played the Rim Worlds, you know, Frostpunk stuff like that. Um, it's worth going back and seeing sort of the progenitor of all of that, the one that inspired all of the people who are making those newer games now. Um, And at least right now, like, yeah, there's still uh, a little bit of a wall to climb, but it's a much shorter wall than it was before. And and that's really the the strength of what the steam version brings to the table, but there's nothing else like it. Yeah. It's no longer the sort of like free solo of difficulty curves in the way that it, it once was where you were barefaced rock climbing all by yourself. You really, right. you really were. Yeah. yeah for, for folks that don't get that free solo is a, is a documentary about rock climbing. 
<laughs> yeah, for a long and for a lot of people, it's more like 127 hours while trying to play the game. So. Well, that's the ideal situation is that you get to do 127 right. hours. <laughs> that's the. And it ends with one of your dwarfs chewing off their own arm. Like, I mean, sounds great to me. Very well, I had a dwarf the yeah. other day get her arm cut off in combat and then bite the goblin on the head on the helmet, removing the helmet from the goblin's head and then put her own axe into the goblin's head. Yes. Love yes. that. I love Which is that. how I would like to treat life generally. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I, I want to thank everyone for their time. Uh, I would like to thank Lynn, uh, Lynn for their time and Gita for their time, Mike for his time. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, I love Dwarf Fortress. And I think if you've listened to this podcast recently, you know that And I'm overjoyed to do this. And Please send me your stories about Dwarf Fortress. Go read uh, Go read Boat Murdered. Go read Brave Mule. Brave Mule is a wonderful story. Go watch some Krug Smash videos. And if you think that Dwarf Fortress might be for you, please try it, because I think that uh, it probably is, if you've listened to all and of this. Go read, uh, go read John's review on IGN. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and video. Uh, there's an adjoining video on YouTube. And Gita's review on the Washington Post. That's true. Absolutely. Please go read those things. You can still try it for free, by the way. The free version still exists. It certainly does. And the free version with updated (laughs) interfaces on the way as well. It just got pushed back a little bit, which is sort of the norm for Dwarf Fortress. I'm excited for this to get all done so they can do the law and politics revamp so that then they can do the magic update, which will certainly destroy everything that you know about this game and uh <laughs> which we'll be talking about in another five I'm years thrilled yeah. i'm excited to record that show in five years <laughs> you think i'm joking but i'm gonna call back to this moment while, no, while we're recording I'm, it i hey i'm on board we should i would be on board with doing a yearly dwarf fortress all right show. i'll see you all in i would have something to say <laughs> yes if, if earth still exists which stop talking robot uh, if Earth still exists, which I expect that it will, uh, this episode was produced by Lynn Hafer. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can check us out over there at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. We're also on Twitter while it lasts, where we are at 3MA. And of course, the show is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. It really is what enables us to make this show at all. So please head on over to patreon.com slash 3MA. And you can get access to bonus shows like Rob and Troy talking about movies every month, which is deeply entertaining. Uh, You can also get up on our Discord server where we will be running Dwarf Fortress Succession games until everyone tells me to please stop running Dwarf Fortress Succession (laughs) games. So for for myself, for Gita, Lynn, and Mike, this is John Bolding saying goodnight.